0: In that tackle, the the opponent's helmet was in his chest, so he had blunt force trauma to the chest, and in the exact right spot, at the exact right moment during his heartbeat, it caused his heart to have what we call an arrhythmia, not beat effectively to push blood to the brain. So he stood up, not enough blood went to the brain, he fell down. What we know with this uh, comedic cortis which is this condition, is that every minute you delay uh, char- uh, shocking them, resuscitating them. What happens is there's an increase of 10% of mortality. They started CPR right away, which is great. My hope is they were able to restore the heart rate soon enough to be able to get blood flow to the brain so there's no damage there.
1: It's Cofield and Company, live from the Battle Born Broadcast Center.
2: Five o'clock hours here, Cofield and Company, still waiting on more updates with Damar Hamlin from Monday Night Football collapsing on the field. Cardiac arrest. That was a Dr. David Agus on CBS News explaining what he thinks happened. I don't know that we've got an official explanation of what happened, but scary. And a lot of fans out there have had to cope with it. Players certainly have to cope with it. Football players of all sorts have to deal with this. It was a jarring event. You know, We haven't seen many of these uh, in recent history, in the world of sports, you know there are terrible situations sometimes that happen. Like Hank Adders, he didn't make it. Chris Pronger,
3: he made it. And I know, I for you, this hit you pretty hard, right? Just it was just disturbing to watch. I mean, just in general, you're sitting there watching, you know, um, a young man. Basically, he. I mean, let's let's call it what it was. He he died mm-hmm. on the football field, and then he was resuscitated. We we literally watched somebody die for seconds before he was revived and someone saved his life. Um, more so than anything, though, I don't want to take away from the tragedy that is a 24 year old talented professional athlete, one of the, you know one of the greatest. I mean, I think you can call any professional athlete, male or female. One of the greatest athletes in the world because they're getting paid to do what they do at the highest level. But the other thing is, Steve, you know, somebody had cardiac arrest today. Somebody died. Somebody also made it. Somebody was revived. Um, Somebody yesterday, Tuesday. I don't know their names, and they haven't been in the news, but it's just as important. It's just as their stories are just as compelling. Um, you know, there th- this hit this hit home for um, the Connell family. Brian Connell in, I'm sorry, I cannot remember what his again yeah. Olathe, it's Olathe, Kansas. Olathe, Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. So his son Brennan was pitching for uh, the, his high school baseball team in May of 2019, and Collapsed on the pitcher's mound, and he thinks, you know, someone provi- provided a CPR and AED, and that's why um, the father Brian he he carries an automated external defibrillator in his car wherever he goes. He has one with him because he never wants to see anybody doesn't want it to happen to anybody else. But his son is alive, and he went on to play. Uh, he finished his high school baseball career and. He played college baseball. I found the story, uh, just just reading different stories. But this was a young man that nobody would know who he was if this news station didn't do a story on him because they remembered possibly covering this game or this story four years ago. And so they said, hey, this happened to a high school kid. And so they went out and did it. My point is that we don't pay attention to things until they happen to big names. I said the same thing about suicide, National Suicide Prevention Month. Why do we only talk about it in that month? People are killing themselves every single day they're taking their lives, but yet we don't talk about it until someone like Robin Williams or Twitch from The Ellen Show off themselves. And it's not fair. In, in reality, we have to start recognizing these serious things that are taking place in society, in our lives, in and around us. I was texting with my mom earlier. And I'm not going to give out his name. She was like, don't violate any laws, please. My mom's frantic about stuff like that. But I'll just say his name is John from the shrine with the local shrine temple with my stepfather. He had a heart attack in his bed and his wife revived him and they saved him. But nobody knew about that. It wasn't in the news. It wasn't in the story. He's on a professional athlete. And my mom said, Well, he was an older man, talking about a 24-year-old football player. I get it. My point is that we 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 this 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 young man's toy drive. And I commend everybody that decided to go donate. Devontae Adams and Josh McDaniels. He went and donated to this guy's toy drive, which had less than a million dollars before Monday Night Football, and I think is over seven million now. That's great. But what about donating to you know the heart association what about donating to you know or or helping to provide <coughs> excuse me <coughs> helping to provide uh, AED to maybe schools and making sure this 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 gentleman the Connell family they helped introduce a bill in Kansas called the Sudden Cardiac Arrest Prevention Act. It requires school information and policies to address sudden cardiac arrest in school athletic activities. Why not do that with the Clark County School District? Just in case. It just it takes it it takes something like this. It's almost you know I likened it to not the situation but the the publicity. We should be thankful, I guess, for the situations that took place with with Hamlin and Brittany Griner. Because now more people are talking about wrongfully detained Americans in other countries, specifically in Russia, but nobody was talking about it before Brittany Griner. So everybody that's mad that she was released and not the Marine, well, now nobody—I I never heard anything about it beforehand. Now, granted, I'm not into politics and I don't read a lot of the news. It's too—it's—it's too, too sided, one way or the other. But point is, we don't talk and hear about things until they happen to big-name celebrities or athletes or whatever, and it's a shame. And I'm not taking anything away from this young man. DeMar, I mean, b- prayers and blessings going out to DeMar Amlin, 100%. I'm just saying, these things happen every single day. Businesses keep going. Life keeps moving. But if we're going to make these big efforts and and do worldwide prayers on social media and start making donations when it's athletes and celebrities – Let's start focusing on our communities and what's going on in wh- where who where who, who who what kids or or teenagers or 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 senior citizens that have nobody in their life are going through heart attack or or cardiac arrest issues here in Las Vegas. That's all I'm saying.
2: Well, one of the other offshoots that's going to come out of this is the discussion about safety in sports. There's a lot of parents out there who currently won't allow their kids to play football. That'll scare the hell out of you seeing a guy collapse on the field, and it's a very you know, rare occurrence, but there is going to be that discussion. A little more of this convo on CBS News with this Dr. Agus. As you hear the anchor here ask about hey, you know, we've started to concentrate so much on brain injury, have we forgotten about the other, you know, real serious risk of playing football and other contact sports?
0: Should there be more scrutiny on player safety? There's a lot of focus on brain injuries, but should there be more focus on the impact of these tackles on other parts of the body? Listen, I think in all sport, we start to have to relook at safety. When a child heads a soccer ball, once you see MRI changes and inflammation in the brain in these kids. In football, we're seeing lots of injuries. You know, the artificial turf is changing. They're getting more athletic. The game is changing.
2: Yes, bigger, faster, stronger. And there are dangers in soccer.
3: There's certainly danger in combat sports. So what do we do, Willie? I honestly I don't think that there's anything you can do because I think that this is these are things that have been ongoing. I, I mean we've never seen something like this. We've seen it in hockey. So out a few years ago, right before the St. Louis Blues came here. Right, our good friend Danny Webster from the Las Vegas Sun talked to Alex Patrangelo today. He was he's doing a story in general on how the Golden Knights handled it, if they had a meeting, if they talked about it, just in general. You never know. Pro athletes they want to be counseled, in, and not just the Raiders. And Patrangelo told Danny, he said, "I just went through this. Remember, you know when Bo dropped down uh, in, in Anaheim in in the uh, in, in on the bench during the game? They suspended that game, so he wasn't even hit. he was just sitting on this on the bench. Yeah. So." Um, I, I don't know if there's anything you can do. I don't think that you can start regulating hits and blocks. And Because the thing is, you know, I just got done talking about how my mom and I were texting about the gentleman from the shrine, right? But she said the difference is T. Higgins hit him square in the chest. T. Higgins was the receiver, and he's he's catching. I mean, leave T. Higgins alone. Think about how many people saying, well, you hit him in the chest. Okay, if you hit him in the head, you say, hey, you're not supposed to hit him in the head. You're supposed to hit him in the chest. Where are you supposed to aim? I don't think you can start regulating... And changing, okay, you can only do this. or uh, You might as well just get flags. or And, and with hockey, no checking. Right? And in
2: baseball. How about in, how about in hockey and baseball, no throwing the ball, no shooting the puck?
3: Right. I mean, because, you, could,
2: you could shoot a puck into someone's freaking chest and right. potentially, you know, if they're not padded and it hits the right area, you could have something like this. The
3: father that I just spoke of from Kansas, he traced He said, what we, we traced it back to when he was seven or eight years old and he took a ball to the chest and it probably oh, wow. did some damage. So now what, there's no blocking the home plate. You got, it'll just, we'll, do, we'll do the softball line off to the side like, like they do in, in, you know, in C-League, you know, beer league softball. You just got the line off to the side. You cross it and if you catch it. I mean, I don't think that you can start regulating play. I just think, you know, I, I don't know if there were any extenuating circumstances with DeMar Hamlin. I don't. We don't know. We don't know this, this young man's, and that's, that's, that's his private, you know, uh, medical records. You know, in terms of that, he took a hard shot, and and it's scary, and he went down. But the one thing I will say is, it's very rare. We've never seen that there. We saw it. It happened in two thousand five in hockey. Happened in two thousand nineteen. I don't know of anywhere else. So it's not like it happens all the time. You don't want it to happen again. But in all the years of tackle football, now we've seen this. So it doesn't mean that it's going to start happening or it's going to be a once a year occurrence. I just. You know, I don't know. I don't know if, if you do midseason physicals with some of these guys to make sure. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I do know that it would be a travesty to start regulating tackles in areas of the body and changing the rules in, in relation. I think I, I think they've do, done a good job when it comes to head injuries and concussions. But now what are you going to do? Heart injuries? What's going to be next? I don't know. Who wants to go see a Knights game? right, we got
2: tickets for two Saturdays from now, the 14th, AXS.com. AXS.com is where you can grab your tickets for all night's games. Oilers are in town. That'll be a vocal crowd, probably a good traveling contingent from Edmonton. Edmonton and the Knights, it's on the 14th, 7 o'clock start. Two tickets. Ari's got your tickets, 364-1100. Caller 7.
1: Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez or tweet the show at Cofield and
3: Why do you feel like you will fit into this specific Aaron Roderick led BYU offense?
2: Well, it's a a physical offense, allows the running back to get downhill, allows the running backs to make one cut and go, have one read. You know, I really like the way that they do blocking schemes, you know, seven man protections, things that I haven't done. I haven't really been engaged in any seven man protections, you know, just, just to be
4: featured in a very explosive offense.
1: Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels radio. Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company.
2: That was the voice of Aiden Robbins on BYU TV. He elected a few weeks back to leave UNLV and the football program to go to uh, BYU. Caleb Herring's in with us. Caleb, how you doing, buddy?
4: I am doing good. Happy New Year, guys. Welcome to 2023.
2: <laughs> Happy New Year. Nothing to talk about, right? Um, what did you think of Aiden Robbins talking about seven-man protection and uh, now being in an explosive offense?
4: I-, I think he was a part of an explosive offense. Um, I think whether or not it was as explosive as he wanted it to be uh, is is up for a debate. I think the year was kind of up and down for UNLV offensively. But he was a 1,000-yard back last season and uh, was heavily featured uh, maybe sometimes to the detriment of the team, even heavily featured in the offensive scheme last year. Um, so I, I think he will be excited about it. I think there's the the main thing that I took away from what he said in those statements was uh, that the the thought process and getting downhill and being able to just make one cut and one read as a running back, cool. as a runner, and just being able to cut it loose. And that was part of my analysis of his play style. Uh, you remember last year during the season, Often at times during the game, I would always say he would he he looks more comfortable and more uh, effective running from the pistol, which gets him shoulder square to the line of scrimmage and downhill faster uh, than running at the shotgun, running lateral to the line of scrimmage. He had trouble with the outside zone play, but I, I think he's looking for a good fit. And the the big thing is for UNLV fans is that. Not only was maybe he not satisfied with UNLV's offense last season, but now he doesn't even really know what the offense is going to be. I mean, they're still up in the air what UNLV's offense is going to look like. At least at BYU, maybe he has a clear understanding of what the objectives will be for the running game uh, up with the Cougars. All
2: right, let's talk about the, uh, the point you were just making there. You were alluding to the fact that there's no offensive coordinator currently at UNLV because Bobby Petrino, who was a controversial hire in the first place, Went full Bobby Petrino on UNLV and you know he's had loyalty issues, kind of does what he wants to do, and he is gone just 20 days into the new gig.
4: Yeah, the the shock, right? I mean we 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 had time to be excited about the hire. We had you know time to speculate on what would happen, um, and then all of a sudden, poof, it's gone. And that's the, the world we live in where, you know, not only do you have to worry about the transfer portal taking players out, but then you have to worry about the coaching carousel. And it's it's just the business of football at this level. I guess you look at coaches are a part of it just like players are now, where they can control their own destiny. And the talk, it was always a shock that the Aggies got beat out um, by UNLV. And I think that was one of the main narratives with Petrino. Also, of course, with his history and uh, off-the-field issues. But I think one of the big narratives was that how did UNLV steal Petrino, who was basically signed so delivered before December, according to some speculation. Um, so now it kind of comes back full circle like, well, he wasn't really stolen. He's he's going back to where kind of the original sources said he was going to go. Um, but it leaves, you kind of high and dry. And there's there's uh, with recruiting, you know, ramp it up. February 1st is, is right around the corner. Um, that's going to impact a lot of people's decisions. And, you know, there's some quarterback – there's a quarterback that's committed. There's other players that were recruited to UNLV by Petrino who will be having a decision to make. like Boda is being the one I'm talking about, at like quarterback. and They're going to have to make a decision if they want to stay true to the university or if the person that recruited them was more important. I would say in this day and age, the coach or the person that did the bulk of the recruiting – is seeming to be more important to recruits as far as if they're going to stay committed to places. So not only with with, with Boda, but with other players who Petrino has been talking to as a UNLV offensive coordinator, uh, there's going to be a decision to make on, on whether or not they're going to stay committed and, uh, or if they're going to turn tail as well.
2: ESPN's Kenny Main tweeted a little while ago. And he's a jokey guy. said, hopefully Petrino left behind some cool plays on the whiteboard. Uh, tagged at UNLV football. Uh, Kenny Maine played quarterback at the school just like you did. I want to talk about Bo to the commit here in a second, but I just want to take, uh, have you take us in the audience into the mind of the quarterback room. Like You didn't have a ton of time to work with Petrino, but if you're Brumfield and whoever else is staying around, I'm guessing that you were mostly bought in, you were sold hard to stay around. What are you thinking right now? I know it's part of the game, but this is one of your most vital relationships in your development as a
4: player. I think you're you're thinking that either way you're at a disadvantage. And I think this is a case and this is kind of playing out in front of you of why it's so enticing to enter the transfer portal immediately when your current coach is fired. Um, this is one of the arguments for transferring because the longer this process draws out, the longer the relationship can't be built, the longer there is no offensive coordinator or offensive system at all, uh, then the the farther behind the eight ball you get as, as a quarterback. That relationship with the coach, that relationship with the playbook, um, we see it at every level, and it's a part of probably the Raiders issue. That relationship with the coach and quarterback is one of the most important things about successful football. Um, and the longer you don't have that, the worse off you will perform in the upcoming season. And the, the harder it is going to be to prepare as a team, uh, importantly, but more importantly as an individual, uh, to to be your best for the team because you don't have the information, you don't have the relationship, you don't have that foundation, and it's very hard to establish trust uh, quickly, especially in the game of football and from the position of quarterback. So I, I think in, in your mind you're saying, the, for the guys that didn't enter the portal, they're saying, man, maybe I should have. They're second-guessing it. Maybe I should have gotten out of dodge. It's just some chaos going on. And that's the absolute worst-case scenario for UNLV. You don't want guys with that mindset before winter conditioning and spring ball gets started. You want guys to feel secure in what they're going to do, what their role will be and what the playbook is. Think about that. Like guys don't have a playbook right now in their hand that they can be catching up on. While the rest of the world uh, or rest of the college football landscape essentially is is nose deep or at least a year uh, into the playbook where they're, you know, starting to build on things instead of just trying to look and find an answer. So I think that's definitely crossing the minds of the, the players in the locker room, but especially the quarterbacks. This is a good opportunity
2: to back the players again because we see the constant griping about kids these days in the transfer portal. I mean, this is a situation that in large part was created by coaches, right? They bounce. They bounce <laughs> yeah. when they want with seemingly no penalty. Why shouldn't players be able to do the, the same thing? Why, why, I don't understand why 18- to 23-year-olds have to be super loyal But coaches don't. You know, it's funny, on our UNLV All Access account up on Twitter, we do the podcast, I tweeted out yesterday that Marcus Phillips, who is a Cimarron guy, a local guy, played for UNLV, left, played a year at Southern Utah, tweeted out he's back in the portal. That's all I said. And I think the kid, like, he saw some responses because some responses ripped him, and then he, he like, he fired at the account, well, you know, I'm leaving because I've, Gotten better. Like I didn't say anything was wrong with leaving you know, or going back into the transfer right. portal. Like I'm, I'm fine with it. I don't know why so many people are bothered by it. Yeah, it's different than it used to be. But guess what? This is a college football self-correcting measure that has developed to make up for the fact that coaches did whatever they wanted and many of them showed little loyalty.
4: Very little loyalty. And it's even more cynical, I guess, for people to to, to not appreciate or at least respect players in the transfer report on how everything's kind of unfolding. When you think of it through this lens, eligibility for a college player is limited and it's a very short window of, of time where you can capitalize on this, this aspect or this job. And we'll start to call it a profession here kind of shortly. Um, but college coaching, look at how long some of these coaches have been around and been able to bounce from place to place and seek out better opportunities. You don't have a big window. So the ability to seek out the best possible window more frequently is almost mandatory when you look at it through that lens. It's it's like, why should somebody be trapped in a contract for four years or five years to some program that is going to change a coach midway through? And there's guys that are dealing with it right now for UNLV that got brought here by some coach, and now the, the, the program does a complete 180 to what it was when they signed on. Why shouldn't they be able to leave? Why shouldn't anybody, not just – College football players, but anybody in any job field, be able to have the the autonomy to do something like that, the independence to make that kind of decision. <laughs> uh, and I think that that is that is important for everybody. I mean, yeah. Free contractors, right? It cracks me up. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I, th-
2: That's the thing is I don't think fans, because I saw a lot of fans get on uh, some of the guys who left, like Lee Fontenot and and Robbins and uh, Noel Williams, and it's like, hey, if they don't want to be here, then we don't want them here. They wanted to be here. Their main boss slash coach was let go. Put yourself in the same situation, in your job. Would you not be uneasy if the person who brought you in is gone or your bosses are constantly changing? That is unsettling. That's unsettling
4: for me in my 50s. What do you think it's like for a freaking 18 to 23-year-old? And, and there was a time when when people were so adamant about that, that exact point, that if you know, the company was making decisions, or overworking them, or, or treating them badly as employees. They would go on strike. Like the the country would like there was that was a normal thing for people to be like, you know what, this job ain't working. Let's just not go. Let's not do it anymore. That's how important it is for us to have our demands met or have a a, a cohesive work environment, right? But things have shifted so much. And we're just like corporate America style. We're like we're just clogs on the wheel. Just shut up and accept it and be happy with what you get. It's like no, you you can't get away with that. In every instance, and I think it's it's okay for individuals. And I will I would just go on record and say I will never. For I'm a fan of UNTV an alumni. I will never chastise or disown or disavow anybody who decides to transfer and land somewhere else. And it's happened in the past. It happened this season. It's almost becoming inevitability right now. But that to me that is just asinine to to rip kids, young adults, for trying to navigate through life. And 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 make make the best decision for themselves. I I applaud it. Now, with that, they got to face consequences, whatever those consequences are, good or bad on the other side. And that's a part of the reality. But at the same time, they should have the freedom to do it. And I'm I'm all for that. Um, And then for, UNLV fans and for, for people in other communities, you have to have a realistic look. And it's something I alluded to before, where the players are attracted to the people that recruit them. More than they are to the institutions, especially when you're UNLV, you don't have established traditions, and this is a shortcoming on the university's part. You you don't have you can't just say we're the rebels and people that automatically drift to you. So they're going to drift to the players to, to the coaches that recruit them. Arroyo, like him or not, had a relationship with the players that were in the in the locker room. So if they now with the absence of Arroyo decide to leave, that is a reality UNLV has to face, and it's a reality that more and more colleges across the country, I believe, outside of a couple maybe a handful or so who still have that name recognition, like the Alabamas and uh, maybe, you know, some other schools in that class where Alabama really gets, you know, the attention, even with schools like USC, it's the name that Lincoln Riley is the name that turned (laughs) USC recruiting and player involvement around. It, It wasn't USC, which is, you know, 10 years ago, if you'd have said that, that Lincoln Riley's name is bigger than USC in college football, it would have been ridiculous to say now that's just the reality of it. And, I think more people need to get on board with that. The names and the relationships that are established are more more and more important and more valuable in college football.
2: Coming up, Caleb Herring and Willie react to what's going on with the
1: Raiders and Derek Carr slash Camp Carr. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All-Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All-Access on Twitter. main reason that I believe they're not going to be able to trade him is they have to get some cooperation from Carr to trade him, and why would Carr cooperate with them at this point? I know I wouldn't, right. and I'm not going to criticize yeah. him if he doesn't. What he should say to the team is, and I wrote this yesterday, one, cut me, or two, my favorite line from Goodfellas, F you, pay me. Those are the options. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battle Born Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, let's address what Mike Florio was saying there, pro football
2: talk here in just a couple minutes in less than five, about what's going to happen here with Derek Carr and the Raiders. And for folks out there who have not been educated on this, haven't really followed uh, good voices on this, this is not as simple as Raiders take the best offer from, you know, one of 12 teams and get to deal Derek Carr. We'll explain why there's a lot of things going on here. But the first thing, I want to continue to build on with Caleb Herring is that word loyalty. We were talking about what fans expect from players and not necessarily from coaches. And a lot of fans hate the transfer portal, unless of course they steal other schools players and it helps them. Right. Um, I want to play Caleb. Listen to this one. I want to play David Carr and his appearance the other day, Derek's brother on NFL network and The end of the clip talks about, hey, Derek never complained, which is kind of a, that's not accurate. Uh, But the beginning, he talks about loyalty. This is interesting.
3: Derek
1: Carr has, he's said for a long time that I'm only going to play for the Raiders. Mm -hmm. It's going to be Raiders or no one else. So that's loyalty. So he was fully invested. Six head coaches. Khalil Mack gets traded. Mari Cooper is shipped off. John Gruden gets fired midseason. He's going through all this turmoil, right? He never called out a coach, never called out the organization, never called out. The top brass in the organization never said anything. So yeah, that's
2: loyalty. And yet, Caleb, we saw this weekend you played the position, and you've gotten on Derek Carr about leadership qualities and optics and the way he operated when he was with the Raiders. And I'm doing that in past tense because he's not with the Raiders right now. What are your thoughts of him walking Mm -hmm. away, and it it struck me on uh, whatever it was, Sunday, um, as the Niners and Raiders are in this unbelievable game, back and forth game, Derek Carr's not at the game.
4: Yeah, and it was a a fantastic game. I mean, Stidham played well. It was a a great atmosphere, although, you know, it ended up in a loss. It it looked like a lot of fun to be in that stadium. So, um, But it's Derek Carr's career has been about uh, loyalty to some degree, but only as far as it is as playing the role that you're supposed to play, right? You're the quarterback of a team. You want to be the franchise quarterback. You want to be, you know, remembered as a legend and succeed and all that. So you go out and you say the right things all the time. And that's kind of how I would – Sum up, Derek Carr. I, there's always a question to me of how genuine his position, uh, you know, off the field was, as far as him wanting to be a Raider, him wanting to retire a Raider, those kind of statements that are meant to, you know, raha the team you're with. That's that's what they're designed to do. I don't know that that means internally you're loyal. Um, I'm not going to say he's been disloyal either because like there's no evidence for it. But there's been hints to me, uh, especially this year, that a lot of what Derek Carr has been doing positioning himself to have a scapegoat to be able to get out clear where nobody questions him uh, and the 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 real concerns were the things that were around him and that is a valid point let's be clear Josh McDaniels uh, the Raiders organization and that atrocious defense they've had over the length of Derek Carr's career is inexcusable when you want to start comparing quarterback success right Derek Carr hasn't hasn't had a good team around him for most of his Raider career um, that's clear. So, so for me, it's 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 not necessarily a knock to say that he's loyalty is not the priority. It's Derek Carr is the priority, and it's a very it's a it's a clever way to do it. It's 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 manipulative on the media, which he which he has every right to be. It's playing the game. Uh, people are going to paint you like a villain unless you paint yourself like a hero. And that's that's what he's really been doing his whole time at the Raiders is is kind of hanging his hat on, I'm a leader, I'm the guy, I'm a football guy. You know, I, I do what I have to do to go to sleep at night. That quote that will live in my mind forever. Um, but that that's, that's what Derek Carr's been. And now it's just time for that role to end with the Raiders. And I think with being away from the team, he's positioned himself to make it clear, hey, start shopping me now. Start getting a package together because my no trade clause if I don't like the deal, if I don't like the destination, I'm not going. And then I'll, I'll go somewhere to win now uh, cheaper than it would have been for a trade. And then the Raiders will really be high and dry, get nothing in return for Derek Carr.
3: Caleb, uh, Josh McDaniel said he didn't call a different game plan for uh, Jarrett Stidham. Um, my belief is he had more confidence in his guy from New England than he did of Carr's capabilities. Do you think McDaniel screwed Carr with a limited playbook?
4: I won't say it was a limited playbook, but I think there definitely was more trust from McDaniels that Stidham would see what he's supposed to see. And that's a nuanced answer for that because sometimes quarterbacks that have reached a level of being so good or so knowledgeable or have such a high IQ and experience with the game tend to try to figure the game out as it unfolds and the check war at the line of scrimmage or, or, or trying to will something open maybe. Um, but when you have a quarterback maybe that isn't proven that is going by the book like doing things exactly the way they're intended to be that creates more a more cohesive offensive system where the coach and the the, the player are in sync and you sometimes get better performances for it and I think that's kind of been the story of Jalen Hurts' season with Philadelphia it's been the story with uh, uh, up in w- with the San Francisco 49ers and basically whoever's that quarterback with them, if they're seeing what they're supposed to see, everything works out fine. And I think that's what happened with the Raiders. I think there's oftentimes a battle between Carr and McDaniels as far as how the offensive run, what they wanted to do, what plays were being called for what reason at what time, um, and what Derek Carr was supposed to be seeing as opposed to what he was seeing. And that contention led to some very, very bad offensive struggles at different points during the season. Um, but I think Stidham just did a good job of seeing what he was supposed to see and what McDaniels wanted him to see, and that led to success. And I'd, I'd, I'd say that's a little bit of fool's gold um, because maybe McDaniels just had a good beat on it uh, on the game and calling the plays, um, and Stidham was just willing to just go run what was called, and and you didn't see a lot of check boards at the line of scrimmage. There wasn't a lot of adjustments or audibles or alerts. It was just, hey, run what we call, and, and we'll make it work. Um, so I, I wouldn't say he limited the playbook, but there's definitely more trust that the quarterback who was under last week, was going to see what he wanted him to see and not, you know, have any contention between the two.
3: Speaking with Caleb Perry, former UNLV quarterback and voice of the UNLV Rebels on the uh, Color Commentator for the broadcast. So, uh, paper of record says, Raiders' top priority, sign Tom Brady to replace Derek Carr. You ask me, uh, Caleb, that's a dumb priority. Your thoughts?
4: I agree. I I think Tom Brady has... Uh, there was questions about Tom Brady's career as far as how much the teams helped him be great. I mean, he's the GOAT, um, but the teams that surrounded him and the things he was willing to do to sacrifice um, money-wise to make sure he had a good team and a good defense around him, that uh, is evident this year that when the team around Tom Brady at this point in his career isn't up to par, he's there's chinks in his armor. He's not Superman. Um, so that I think at this stage, that <laughs> – that will be trying to capitalize on that two year window where you got some players under contract and really selling out, but not solving the actual problem on the Raiders, which is prioritizing the defense, which has been, you know, the last three to four years has been something that they've overlooked and, and failed to rebuild and restructure. Uh, but I, I don't think that Tom Brady is the answer. I think that's a name that, that people are drawn to because he's the greatest quarterback of all time, um, but he's not at that level right now where he can pick the Raiders up without a defense. So I, I wouldn't say that Tom Brady is the priority. I would say shoring up the quarterback position is, um, but I think that ranks number two or three behind defense. I think uh, The priority should be defense. Sorry.
3: Go ahead, Caleb. My
4: bad. Oh, you're fine. Oh, that was that was the end. Was, the priority uh, is defense, period. Point blank, you know, period. <laughs>
3: right, and I was going to interject. It's not Raiders' top priority. It's McDaniels' is top priority because if you look at the complexion of his career – where he's been, Denver, the Rams, everywhere else, he's been a flop. Where's he been successful? In New England. With whom? Tom Brady. That's McDaniels' top priority, not the Raiders.
4: And and a top 10 defense, to mention, with the Patriots. So the, yes. just like little things like that, where the success of Tom Brady in New England that, you know, as Conor McDaniels called the fame, was to have a strong defense. It wasn't necessarily – and I, I, and this is just me. I Watching the Patriots' offense wasn't exciting. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the Patrick Mahomes. It wasn't even Drew Brees. It wasn't the Colts back in the day. And, I mean, granted, Brady put up some crazy numbers in some seasons, but it, there was nothing exciting or thrilling offensively. It was about when it came down to it in the playoffs, first get the number one seed, play good defense, and run the ball in the playoffs. And that, that was what the Patriots' way came down to. Tom Brady was great when he needed to be, but I, you, don't, you don't build winning, successful, sustained programs or football teams by just going out and getting a good quarterback. For how great Patrick Mahomes is, he has one Super Bowl, and he's done a lot of winning. For how great Josh Allen is, he's never even been to a Super Bowl. The list of great quarterbacks who have not won a Super Bowl or only won one Super Bowl is a lot longer than the list of quarterbacks that have. And most of those quarterbacks will tell you, I did it with my team, and I had a good defense that helped me along the way. Uh, Maybe not statistically the whole season, but at least when it counted in the playoffs. Um, So Raiders and Josh McDaniels got to build the defense up if they want to have a chance, especially in the AFC West when other teams start figuring it out with the healthy Chargers, with the Chiefs being who they are. uh, The Broncos maybe figuring something out. I don't know. But if the Raiders want to get good quick, they got to do it by building a defense.
2: Caleb Herring on Cofield and Company. Last one, very important one. Were you watching Monday Night Football? Live when DeMar Hamlin went down and and what did that moment do for you or
4: the aftermath? It it was scary. I was watching it live and it was one of those things where, you know, you heard stories. I've never been on the field where it happened, Um, but it's, it it was so scary. I mean, uh, you could see clearly just the way he collapsed and, you know, the way the cameras, you know, panned away to understanding the gravity of the situation that it was not your ordinary injury. It was something much deeper, much more serious. Um, So you immediately lose all focus for football. And that's, you know, being somebody that's been out there, even with less serious injuries, um, when there's a player down on either team that it seems bad, everybody in that moment comes together on that. And the focus is on that and make sure the player gets off. It's hard to get back into into football mode, especially as a player. Um, But seeing somebody rushed off in the ambulance, it doesn't happen often. When we think about how violent the sport is, that the fact that the ambulance isn't on the field more often in this sport yeah. is is a miracle, really. Um, but it's scary, and it's it, your bodies can handle some things and some things they can't. And uh, I, I think those moments make it clear that while it is a game and it's fun, and we see the, the you know celebrations, the dances, and people are living out their dreams, there's still a risk factor. Um, and prioritizing your health is is, is paramount. And I'm not saying that it could have been prevented, but uh, being aware that this is a possibility, and you know this is something that parents everywhere, there's mothers like my wife, who watched it live as well, and are making a decision about football and its viability um, as far as what they want their kids to be doing in the future. And those are all things that come rushing to mind when you watch somebody get carried off, and hoping for the best in his recovery, fighting you know for his life essentially is 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 the battle he's focused on right now. Not the playoffs, not next Sunday's game, not where the rematch is going to be. None of that. It's to fight for his life, and I think Hamlin and his family and his team—that's uh, what they need to understand coming from us. And um, although football is fun and entertaining, we we have to prioritize life over entertainment. And I think that's that's where my mind went immediately. It was like that's somebody's life on the field that you know literally left his body momentarily, um, and it's it's hard to focus on anything else in that moment. Caleb, great job. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, guys, have a good one.
1: Join Cofield and Company on Fridays for the 3-6 show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. <laughs> Cofield and Company presents... Hold hey, hold on, Bag up, up. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Vegas. Where's the, where's the Take your hand in there, Dave.
2: Willie's here. It's Cofield. We close out Cofield and company. Aria Long as well. You can check out the archives of the show shortly after. We go off at 6 o'clock. LVSportsNetwork.com. And reminder, tomorrow we'll be out at Silver 7s. 3 to 6. No Thursday Night Football. 3 to 6. All Vegas Golden Knights games when they are on TV at Silver 7s. Like tomorrow against the Penguins. 77 cent beers. Bud Bud Light. And Mick Sign up for that A-Play card. Lots of great... Free giveaways three days a week at Silver Sevens, Flamingo and Paradise. So, if you're listening earlier, I'm probably one of very few people in the media who sees what's going on with Skip Bayless and Fox to a certain extent. And that while it's completely gross to capitalize on the tragedy that unfolded with Damar Hamlin from the Bills. We've seen this happen before, and people will sell their, skull, their soul, go you know, scummy route to make money, get ratings. It's just the way it is. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. I think it's obvious. Most of you have missed it. To me, what's really gross is what's going on right now with the NFL and ESPN. So we had that deal during the game where we're in this zone of, hey, what the hell do we do on TV while they're bringing this kid back to life, right? And they're throwing back to the studio, and then Aikman and more Buck are giving updates. And at some point, someone tells Joe Buck, hey, five-minute warm-up, and they're going to restart. And you see Joe Burrow warming up. So, like, someone on the field told the Bengals – That message. Someone told Buck that message. We don't know if it was directly from the NFL or uh, NFL personnel. I don't think it was Raj on the bat phone saying it. Right? But Troy Vincent afterwards came out and said quickly, oh, no, no, no. That wasn't something we ever considered. Right? Someone said it. So this blame game, that's gross. How about someone just step up and go, case of miscommunication, we know. It's very insensitive in this delicate situation. We apologize. We are sorry. Right? No, we don't get that. How about this one? And I think this is in direct relation to that situation, the five-minute call. Rob Motti, AP, NFL. Terry Vincent, earlier today, quote, I thought it was extremely inappropriate for millions and millions of people to watch this uh, raw emotion, you know, the players and coaches and the Bengals and, and Bills, as the medical team tried to take care of this young man. Can we stop? What is subtle shots at your TV partner? And I love it. You know what? While social media, and I I, I never say that. Like, the whole thing is not a cesspool. Right, Willie? Mm-hmm. It's a cesspool. But the whole thing is not. Great response immediately from, I'll say the name, Aqua Socks. Person goes, you know, interestingly enough, I thought it showed the strength of the players. Showed that male emotions are acceptable, especially in sports. But most importantly, it showed that NFL players are humans. Ding, 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 ding. Delete the tweet. Check that. It wasn't a tweet by Troy Vincent. It was a comment. I don't know how you erase a race now, but will you stop with the back and
3: forth? Stop. I think it was 100% important to broadcast everything. You're not exploiting it. You're not doing it for clicks. But I think for what that person just said, and you know for whom? For the parents and that the parents that are out there pushing their kids not to show emotion and not to show weakness and to to harbor those, don't be a weakling and don't talk about, don't show softness because they're not emulating you, mom and dad. They're emulating Those football players or those tennis players like Martina Navratilova who just came out and said she's battling cancer or baseball players or basketball players or whomever. Show that raw emotion and let your kids see that this is the other side of it. This is outside of 60 minutes of action. This is the real person. Off the football field, they are real people. It's important that everybody saw that.
2: These are difficult situations. You're not gonna nail it with your programming choices. You're trying to make a decision in a situation where you don't know if this young man is gonna live or die. It was a it was a bad position for, you know, everyone in the the TV deal there and the NFL. You're making really difficult decisions on the fly. You know, the same thing happens when you get behind a microphone. Now, I, I think sometimes these talking head shows, just like ours have lots of planning. Ours has some planning, but I don't think as much as some TV shows. I don't understand what Bart Scott was doing because it sounds like this was planned. Here's Stephen A. Smith. Uh, I thought we were all going to take a little bit of a break here and respect football players and not make silly statements, not be irresponsible. Eh, here's Bart Scott.
1: What exactly did T. Higgins do last night to Hamlin? Well, right,
2: right before the tackle, he lowers his helmet and he kind of throws his body into his chest he's standing up because he's thinking he's got to take chase t higgins at an angle to make a tackle so he didn't expect t higgins to launch his body back into him running back comes through the hole and he knows the contact's coming so he lowers his helmet and you can't get underneath him so he's able to get into you and your chest is exposed so they, they they've taken that out of the game but they don't really regulate it as much as possible i i, I expect the league will be a lot more vigilant when it comes to that and using that penalty okay the way that was described on social media was bart scott blames t higgins it's not exactly what he did i think again you got to read tweets you got to listen to quotes you also got to watch them when they're speaking sometimes um what bart scott said there because my setup was you know irresponsible behind the mic bart scott was simply saying uh, offensive players are allowed to dip their heads defensive players are not it's not T Higgins fault. it's, it's just an unfortunate side effect, really tragic one of that hit and that action
3: and it's unfair for anybody to be blaming him attacking him, going after him that's it's just I'm just going to leave it at that because it's just not fair.